It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, just wanted to encourage you right now, if you're doing our All-In Challenge and you're, uh, you're, you've fallen behind on the Bible readings, you know, we're reading through the entire Bible this year. Uh, if you've fallen behind more than, by more than a few days or if you haven't started yet, pick up a reading plan and just start with today. Don't worry about catching up. Just write, read along with us. You need that camaraderie. You need that momentum that, that comes with a family doing the same thing together. And I know there's those overachievers in the room who are already like halfway through the Bible, right? I mean, don't raise your hand. Don't brag. But if you're one of those people, good for you. The rest of us sort of struggle to get through it. Just don't give up. This is going to be fruitful in your life. And remember, there's three other challenges. When I talk to people about All In, everybody talks about the Bible reading plan. And hey, this is really great. I've never done this before. Good on you. But don't forget those other three challenges. Pray for lost people every day. Engage in missions. Commit to generosity. I think it's going to be a life-changing year for you, for me, for our entire church. And I'm excited to be a part of it. I'm excited to see what God is doing and is going to do. So y'all turn with me to Acts chapter 8. We're going to be in Acts 8 and Acts 11. There's a Bible in the pew rack if you don't have one yourself. And we also project it on the screen. But a lot of us like having it in our hands, and then we can refer to things uh, around. We can see the larger context. Um, so I grew up uh, loving sports. Some of you are, are sports fans. Some of you aren't. But you're probably familiar with the cliche of a coach giving a pregame speech, the big pep talk, the fiery speech that gets his team all riled up and ready to go. You're probably familiar with the idea of a, an underdog facing an overwhelming foe, but the coach says some inspiring words and they come out just, just on fire and just defeat the overwhelming enemy, right? I mean, it, for those of us who are sports fans, we know this has happened a few times in history. The, the famous story from about 100 years ago of Newt Rockney, head coach of Notre Dame, and their team captain, George Gipp, was dying in a hospital, and he came and stood, the coach did, came and stood in front of the team and said, hey, you know what George Gipp said to me? He said, just win one for the Gipper today. And they did, of course. And here in Texas, many of us are familiar with the story of Grant Taft for many years, the the head coach of the Baylor Bears, when they were playing the Texas Longhorns one day, and before the game, he ate a live earthworm. I don't know how that inspired his team, but it did. They came out, and they beat Texas that day, so sick them Bears, right? Come on. So uh, I'm not even a Baylor guy, but you know, uh, that, that, these are exciting stories. They fire us up. They get our blood pumping, but if you've ever actually played sports, you know that stuff doesn't usually work. All that emotion, all that inspiration, no matter what the coach says, when you go out on the field, the first time you get, get hit in the mouth, all that emotion's gone. And it's just, it just comes down to who's bigger, who's stronger, who's faster, who has a better plan. You know, the real truth of it is, if the other guys are better than you, and they show up and do their job, you're going to lose. That's the way it works. It's the sad truth. Unless... Unless there's something in you that the enemy doesn't see. Something in you the enemy can't replicate, can't account for, and you defeat them. We're in this series right now called What the World Needs Now, and I'm saying this every Sunday because I want you to understand what the world needs is Jesus Christ, because what the world needs is reconciliation with God. And you look at the world and all of its problems, you look at, at rampant poverty and disease and war and violence and dysfunction, uh, what the world needs is not some white knight in a political office It doesn't need uh, somebody to come up with a cure for some dread disease. If that happens, fantastic, but the root cause of all those things 
is that humanity is estranged from God. And we need someone to reconcile us to him. And the only one that can do that is Jesus. He did his part on the cross. And now he is doing the rest of his work through, guess who? Us. Not just First Baptist Conroe, but every church that preaches the name of Jesus. So what the world needs right now, since Jesus has already done the hard part, what the world needs is to see the church be the church. The world needs to see the people of God represent him like we were called to in the first place. And I want to tell a story today about an enemy being overcome, our enemy being defeated. See, I started off by talking about underdogs because on paper, it looks like the plan of God is a lousy plan. It looks like it's not going to work out because I wouldn't recruit me to change the world. I'll just be honest with you. And you probably feel the same way. You probably look around this room and say, we don't look like world changers. We don't look like heroes. I mean, we know our history, we know our weaknesses, we know how heady we can be sometimes, how shallow and superficial sometimes. We know the darkness that's inside of us, the jealousy, the the smallness. And so we say, uh, you know, why choose us? On paper, this looks like we're going to lose and lose huge. But there's something in us that the enemy cannot account for. There's something in us that the enemy can't replicate and cannot stop, and that is the Holy Spirit of God who lives inside of us. And so greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped when it is following his will. So what I want to do today is look at these stories in Acts, in Acts chapter 8 and Acts 11, that show the spread of the church, and I want us to think about how frustrating that must be for the devil. So this is going to be a little interesting. If you've ever read screw tape letters, you know it's told from the perspective of the enemy. Kind of unusual. I know I'm not C.S. Lewis. Yes, I'm aware of that. But we're going, to, we're going to look at things a little bit backwards today so you can see the power of God and how frustrating it is for the forces of evil. So Acts chapter 8 verse 1 says, And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all the apostles were scattered, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. So I want you to imagine that there's a meeting right about the time this is happening in the book of Acts. There's a meeting in the headquarters of the devil. So all the demons get together, and a project manager gets up before them, and he, he just, there's a little strategy time. He says, he says guys, I, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. I, I want to bring us up to date uh, by just kind of recapping what's been happening these past 30 years or so. So 30-some-odd years ago, God surprised us by becoming a man. And we were excited because all of a sudden our untouchable, unconquerable enemy is now in the form of, of this this frail, squishy human body that can be beat up, that can be tortured, that can, be, that can get sick, that can die. And, and best of all, we now have the opportunity to tempt him to sin. And if we can get him to sin, then, then humanity's lost and we've won because they can't possibly have a Savior who's sinful. And, and sir, we know that, that you took him on as your own personal challenge, and, and we were cheering you on, and, and we, you threw everything you had at him, and yet somehow, even though he didn't look like much, this Jesus, well, he turned out to be quite, kind of a tough nut to crack. I, I almost admire him. Almost. But, but then he died, and we thought, well, that's good, right? But then you explained to us, no, that's actually bad because his death atoned for the sins of humanity, and that meant that anybody who wants salvation can have it, and 
So that was really, really bad for us, but, but at least he was out of the way, right? At least he was gone and we didn't have to see him anymore, right? Yeah, no, he wasn't. He came back three days later. And, um, and that was, well, we all remember what a dark day that was around these parts. Uh, but we were all excited when he ascended up into heaven and he was gone from this world because all that was left behind was his disciples. And we knew, we knew how weak they were. I mean, we had had a field day with them on the day of his crucifixion. We knew they were going to be easy pickings. But then, yeah... Then the unexpected happened. His Holy Spirit came into them. And all of a sudden, they were all different. And so, all of a sudden, instead of having one Son of God walking around the world, we had every man, woman, and child who believed in Jesus bearing His Spirit. It was like the worst thing that we could possibly imagine. It was our worst nightmare. But the good news, sir, is the boys and I have cooked up a plan. So you're probably familiar with this guy, Stephen, that's been going around causing all this trouble for us and convincing his fellow Jews that they don't need the temple anymore because now they've got Jesus. So we've convinced some of his fellow Jews to put him to death, and they did. And we were really excited. That was a good day. They killed Stephen. We're done with him. And it gets even better than that. There was, a, there was a guy in the group. His name is Saul. He's from a little town called Tarsus. Maybe you've heard of it, sir. Um, and, and he's decided that it's his life mission to wipe out this whole belief in Jesus. And, and like you've always taught us, sir, um, you know, religiously motivated violence is the best violence of all because that just makes people think there is no God. So we've, this guy is the best thing that's happened to us in forever. Uh, and we, right now, uh, the exciting news is with, with all of his work, the, the people who follow Jesus have just scattered. They're, they're gone from Jerusalem. The, the apostles stayed behind, but they've scattered to the winds. And, and we all know if you, if you cut off the head of a snake, then, okay, I know that's a bad metaphor, sir. I'll choose a better one next time. But in other words, they've lost their leadership. So our projections are this movement is going to be dead in a year or two tops. So let's move on to verse 4. Verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So after this, they gather back together. The, the demonic circle, the, the project manager stands before them and says, okay, sir, I have to bring you up to date because there have been some updated, some unexpected developments. It turns out that as usual, uh, God, our enemy, is as tenacious and unpredictable as ever. Um, so the people who scattered, you know, we thought they would just basically wither and die, but it turns out they've, they've decided they don't need apostles to guide them. They can go and tell people about Jesus on their own. Uh, we didn't see that coming, sir. We have to admit that. Um, so that means the gospel has now spread into Samaria. Yes, sir, I know, I know Jews and Samaritans are supposed to hate each other, but uh, I don't know. What can I say? They, I guess they took this whole love your enemies thing seriously. Who knew? Um, and, and, and remember Philip? Yeah, yes, sir. He was one of the guys who stepped up when the apostles couldn't get all the work done. Well, it turns out he's actually pretty good at preaching and miracle working too. And so he's causing us a, a lot of trouble in Samaria. And okay, I've got really, really bad news. This is the worst news of all. Remember Saul that I told you about last week? 
Okay, I don't know how to say this. Um, he's sort of a little bit, kind of, slightly, in a way, in a manner of speaking, he, well, he gave his life to Jesus. Yes, sir, I don't know how it happened. I, I, we had our best men on him. I don't, I don't know how it could have gone wrong, but uh, he's, he's really one of them now. And uh, see, the good news, though, I, I have to get to this. The good news is he went up to Jerusalem and tried to join the apostles, and they wouldn't have anything to do with him. So he's gone home to Tarsus, where he's from, and I'm pretty sure that's the last we'll see of him. Don't you think, guys? Don't you think? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so the good news is that the whole world, big old world, all those billions of people, none of them know about Jesus, and this whole Jesus thing is contained, right? It's, it's in Israel. And, and we can live with that, right, sir? I mean, sure, we'd love to have Israel too, but it's contained because Jews hate Gentiles, and Gentiles hate Jews, so there's no chance of it spreading. So the world is safe, we're certain. Let's look at chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, I'm, just, I'm, I'm reading stuff that's not on the screen, I know. He was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now we're on verse 25. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So one more time, they gather together after all this to, to recap, to plan. And the project manager says, sir, I, I just have to tell you all the news is bad now. I've just got nothing but bad news. See, once again, the enemy has done what we thought was impossible. He's convinced some of these uh, Christ-following Jews to, uh, yeah, to share the gospel with Gentiles. Yes, sir, I, I know. I know. We, we thought we'd had the Jews convinced that the Gentiles only existed to fuel the fires of hell, and the Gentiles were convinced that they needed to wipe out the Jews, but somehow this happened. See, there's this place called Antioch. Yes, I, I thought you'd probably heard of it. Um, and there's a church there where Jews and Gentiles are actually worshiping together, worshiping Jesus together. And, and it actually gets worse than that. You, you remember Saul? We thought we were done with him. He went home to, to Tarsus. Well, this guy named Barnabas, yes, I know, that's a funny name. But Barnabas, he went and he found him and he brought him to Antioch. And it turns out that this Saul is an incredibly powerful preacher of the gospel. And, and now people are calling this group Christians. And there's even uh, rumors, our intelligence says there's rumors that Barnabas and Saul are going to go out and take this message all around the world. And that's really our nightmare scenario, sir. It's like this virus has broken out and now everybody's vulnerable. I mean, anybody can believe now. So our, our only real hope is that these people will, these Christians as they're calling them, that they'll forget 
how powerful they are, that they'll forget what Jesus was all about and just become very selfish and inward thinking. Yes, sir, I know that's not much of a plan. Uh, yes, I figured you would take me off the project. Um, so good luck to the next guy. Go team. And uh, I guess I'll go invent reality TV or something. So I want you to think. This is me talking now. I want you to think. When you read the book of Acts, doesn't it seem that we're not actually underdogs after all? I mean, think about this. This is a group of people that didn't have church buildings, ordained clergy, printed Bibles, money, political power, freedom, and yet the worst the devil could throw at them got turned around into good every single time. And we have so much, so many more advantages than they do. What you need to see is we're not the underdogs at all. We are greater than the sum of our parts because there is a powerful God who dwells within us and nobody can stop him. And he has chosen in his wisdom that we can't explain, he has chosen to focus all of his work on and through us. We're his team. And we're destined for victory. We are literally unstoppable. You, God's purpose in your life is unconquerable. You can accomplish greater things than you can possibly dream of. And we together are going to change the world. Our team wins in the end. Spoiler alert, we win. Because the power of God is that unstoppable. In fact, throughout history and in Scripture, the only thing that can stop the church of Jesus Christ is the church of Jesus Christ. The only thing that can get in our way is ourselves. And with the little time I have left, I, I just want to show you three things that historically and biblically bring the church to a grinding halt. And I want you to listen to these and I want you to ask yourself, am I guarding against this stuff? Is there anything within me that is vulnerable to this? Because the last thing we want is for us to miss out on our destiny as a church, as a body of believers. We want to see happen in First Baptist Conroe, in Montgomery County, what happened in Jerusalem and, and in Antioch in the first century. What can stop that? Let me tell you three things. And the first thing, number one, is heresy. And I know, I know, that's a word that probably went out of style in the Renaissance. And I know there are people to this day, thanks to the internet, who make it their business to be self-appointed heresy hunters and cause all kinds of problems because they don't like this guy and they declare him a heretic. And yes, lots of damage can be caused that way. And yet, and yet, and yet, when you read the New Testament, every single book of the New Testament warns against false teaching. It's almost like Jesus and the apostles knew we were going to have to watch out for this, this, this tendency to create God in our own image and to say, okay, thanks, Lord, for the gospel. Let me just sort of shift it a little bit so it fits with my life agenda. It's almost like Jesus knew that was going to happen, right? And he's warning us. A couple of examples, Matthew 7.15, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Watch out for false prophets, he says. And then in 2 Timothy 4.3, Paul writes, and this is at the end of his life, 
For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. We love it when people tell us things that affirm our own thoughts. When people say things that agree with us. And we want to have teachers that teach us things that make us feel good not things that challenge us. For those of you who have been reading the Bible already, I hope you've already seen, there's a lot of challenging stuff in this book. I mean, you're, 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 in, you're in Leviticus now. There's a lot of really challenging stuff in this book. Guess what? Numbers is coming. That's no walk in the park either. And beyond just the, the parts that are hard to understand, there are the parts that you understand them, and they're difficult. See, here's the thing. If your God agrees with everything you already think and hates all the same people you hate, then you're not worshiping Jesus Christ. If instead, if instead you're following a God who constantly, consistently challenges you, who there's always moments where you're like, man, I wish I didn't know that. Now I've got to actually apply that to my life. Then that's a real relationship. Because in a real relationship, people have the opportunity to contradict you sometimes. In a real relationship, people have an opportunity to say, I need you to change in this way. At least every relationship I've ever been a part of. Watch out for the heresy that says, I can create a God, I can create a religion that is exactly what I want it to be, where I'm always right, where I'm always good, and, and everybody else who I don't like is on the outs. Watch out for that. Study God's Word. That's why one of the reasons why reading the Bible this year is so important, because we need to guard our hearts. Not only, not only reading the Bible will it, uh, will it help us know God better, that's the main motive. Will it teach us and, and shape us in, in our character so that we'll have greater joy, greater courage, greater boldness, greater righteousness, but it also guards us against the things that are false, the things that might sound sweet unless you know the truth. Second thing to watch out for is disunity. Disunity. Uh, just like I said, every book of the New Testament warns against heresy. Every book of the New Testament warns us to watch out for the tendency of us to, to split apart, to break apart, to divide. You know the old joke, right? I, I've told you this one before about uh, the guy who was found on a desert island. He'd been stranded there for years. And when they found him, he was all by himself. They said, uh, sir, how, who else is on the island? He said, um, well, there's, there's just me. And they said, well, why do we see three tents? And he said, or three huts. And he said, well, I built this one over here because that's my house. And over here, see, I'm Baptist and I go to church every Sunday. So that's my church building. And they said, well, what's that other one over there? He goes, well, that's where I used to go to church. Watch out for disunity. Watch out for the, the tendency to break apart as part of the family of God and to say, I don't need this person. I don't like this person. This person is not who I want. You know, on, on the night before Jesus died in John 17, he prayed for you and for me. Literally, you read John 17. He's hours away from his death and he prays to the Father. He says, Lord, I pray for the people who will believe because of my disciples. That's us. You know what he prayed for us? He didn't pray that we'd be rich and powerful. He didn't pray that we'd have great big churches. He didn't pray anything like that. He prayed, Father, I pray that you would make them one. Just like you and I are one. Just like any good parent 
God loves it when his children love each other, and it grieves him when they don't. Philippians 2.2, Paul writes and says, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. That doesn't mean we all think alike. It means that we're all headed toward the same goal. We're a team. We're focused on winning together. 1 John 4.20, he says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Don't come into church and think your worship is acceptable to God when somebody else who's a believer in Jesus holds something against you and you haven't done everything you possibly can to get right with them. I don't know. I'm not the Holy Spirit. And if I'm, looking, I'm making eye contact right now, don't take anything. Don't take it personally. But I know in a room this size there are people who have grudges against other people in this room. I know there are people, there's bound to be people in this room who say, yeah, so-and-so's got a problem with me, but that's their problem. No, it's actually not. It's your problem. Have you done everything you can to make things right with that person? Have you gone to them personally and said, listen, I'm sorry? No excuses, no rationalizations, no, hey, you did this to me and you deserve what you got. No, but just, I'm sorry for what I did. I have caused you pain. Is there anything I can do to make it up to you? Do you know how proud that makes our Father when we do that? On those rare moments when we humble ourselves? What do you contribute to the unity of this church, because I tell you, the devil would love to tear us apart. What do you do to contribute to that unity? Are you a peacemaker who, who reconciles people to one another within this body? Or are you a person who loves gossip? You like stirring the pot. Are you patient and long-suffering with difficult people? Uh, listen, if you don't know any difficult people, it's probably you, right? Are you, are you patient with difficult people, or do you get offended at the drop of a hat? Are you real proud of the fact that, boy, you make me mad, I'm mad at you forever? That's not a good thing. Do you go out of your way to broaden your circle of friends? Hear me, folks. Are you constantly on the lookout for new people to invite into your circle, saying, come, let's go out to eat together. Hey, me and, my, me and all my friends are going to watch the game tonight, why don't you come over? Or... Are you very comfortable with your nice little click? Yes, I know some of us are introverts, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing more godly about being outgoing than being more quiet, but all of us need to recognize. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Bear one another's burdens. That's our calling as people of God. The devil loves it when we fight, loves it when we ignore each other. Let's pray for the unity of this church. It is a precious, precious thing. And third, another thing that can stop us, the final thing is what I would call counterfeit faith. Counterfeit faith. And, and that takes a lot of forms. And our form today, I would say its most common form is kind of a superstitious, magical thinking about Jesus that says, okay, if I say these prayers in this way, He'll give me exactly what I want. If I go to church and, and I do my thing there and I listen to the sermon and I don't fall asleep, or if I do fall asleep, I, I, when I open my eyes, I say amen so people thought I was praying. Um, if, I, if I avoid these certain vices, if I'm a good person, then God owes me. And if I do those things, I just know by faith that he's going to give me health, and he's going to give me wealth, and he's going to make my kids well-adjusted, and he's going to make my marriage peaceful, and everything is going to go great, because that's the way it works. That's counterfeit religion. That's counterfeit faith. See, here's real faith, Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, 
Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Hear me, I'm not saying that for you to ask God for things that are on your heart is wrong. In fact, that is right. What I am saying is faith in God is not a quid pro quo where we do good deeds and expect God to deliver. God has already delivered. He has delivered us salvation through his death on the cross. What more do we want? See, our faith is not about getting something from God. He's already given us everything. Our faith is about, Lord, you have blessed me. You have saved me. You have transformed me. Now I want to commit commit every part of myself to you. Not because it earns anything, because I could never earn anything from you, but just because it pleases you. And just because I find satisfaction and joy in serving you. And Lord, when times get hard, and they will get hard, I'm just going to trust. I already know you love me. You died for me. I'm not going to be upset that things didn't go my way. I'm just going to turn it over to you and say, okay, Lord, just guide me through this. I'm just going to trust you. That's real faith. So, so if you have that real faith, then you're constantly asking questions like this. Lord, what ways do you want to change me right now? What, what do I need to work on right now to become more like your son? What sins do I need to confess that I haven't thought of? What virtues do I need to focus on and let your Holy Spirit form in me? How, what people do you want me to reach out to because I know your kingdom is advancing and I want to be part of that? That's real faith. It's easy for any of us to name the stuff we wish God would do for us. But what are we willing to do for his kingdom? What do we find joy in? In serving him. You see, we're unstoppable. But on the other hand, sometimes we can be the devil's best tool. We're filled with the power of Almighty God, the same power that created the universe and raised Jesus from the dead and will someday rule over everything. And at the same time, sometimes we can be the atheist's best excuse for not believing in God. So which is it going to be for us? Which is it going to be for you as an individual? Which is it going to be for us as First Baptist Church of Conroe? We need to choose. We need to decide. Are we going to be unstoppable? Are we going to be part of this work? Because someday, someday there's going to be a victory celebration. And if you're there, you're there by grace because Christ gave his life for you. You didn't earn it. I didn't earn it. None of us will feel that way. And yet on that day, won't we... Won't we rejoice to be able to say, I was part of this victory? Not by my own strength. God gave me the strength, but I was part of this. Look, there's a person I brought here. Look, there's somebody I encouraged along the way. Look, our church made a difference together. Don't you want to be part of that victory celebration in a way that you can say, I contributed? I am Baptist and white, and so I don't dance well, but I have faith that in that day, There will be a victory dance coming out of this body like you've never seen. I want to be part of that. I want our church to be part of that. 